Welcome to Aina Insights, where prominent leaders and influencers shaping the industrial and industrial technology sector discuss topics that are critical for executives, boards, and investors. Aina Insights is brought to you by Aina.ai, a firm focused on working with industrial companies to make them unrivaled segment of one leaders. To learn more about Aina.ai, please visit our website at www.aina.ai. Hey folks, welcome to our next episode of Aina Insights podcast series, where as you know, we visit with leading executives in the corporate investment world to explore a wide array of topics, uh, including macroeconomy, business strategy, technology, operational transformations, and as importantly, their outlooks in the future. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Mr. Ramea Prabhu, Managing Director of NAFA Capital Advisors based in Mumbai, India. NAFA Capital Advisors is an India-focused integrated financial services platform with activities in investment management and corporate advisory. Their asset management businesses include a private equity fund, public equities and debt market investment management, while the wealth management business is a one-stop shop for financial products, including direct equity and debt products for retail investors. Amaya is also the founder and managing partner of UAP Advisors and has been designated the young global leader by the World Economic Forum. He's a writer and author of the highly entertaining The Rock Barbers and Other Stories, a book of short stories published and distributed by Amazon. He's also a trustee of Manav Southern Vikas Sanstha, an NGO focused on holistic human development. Amaya, welcome to our podcast. We're super excited to have you and are looking forward to discussing your book, NAFA, and your journey with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gaurav. It's such a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me and it's, it's an honor. Thank you. So Mia, let's start off a little bit with the NAFA story. Could you start by telling us a little bit about NAFA Capital? What's your overall vision? What's the strategy and how are you trying to differentiate yourself in the investment management industry? Sure, sure. So, you know, we actually started off NAFA. I mean, the name was different. NAFA actually in, in uh, Hindi means profit. So the idea was that, I mean, and, I mean, ultimately all of us are in business and in investments for profit. So that's why we decided to call it NAFA. And I wanted a Indian name, like uh, Indian sounding name, and hence the branding. Actually, in a previous avatar, our initially was called Duesberg Boston Financial Services, which became DBFS. And then I integrated it all under NAFA as one brand, which we are building up. It's a long way to go. But so, you know, we uh, started with investment banking. Then we got into uh, public equities management and entered private assets management. And so today we do all four. We have public equities private equity, investment banking, and we also have an investment in a lending business, which does uh, rural lending, and all of it focused on India. And we have, of course, diversified as well. So we are also in the sustainable uh, agri-input space, wherein we have a joint venture with IFCO, which is the largest agro-cooperative in Asia, one of the largest farmers' cooperatives in the world. And we do sustainable inputs distribution currently, basically nano-urea, which uh, replaces a 50 kg bag of urea with a 500 ml bottle of urea. We also have a product which we distribute called Sagarika, which is a seaweed-based biostimulant, which completely eliminates chemical fertilizer. And we also uh, would be manufacturing that in the future as we grow. So for financial services and agri are the true pillars, I would say, of the organization. And we are also, and again, a lot of it is India-focused. Now with, with the agri business, we have a bit in Nepal as well. And but growing, I think the idea of of course the you know India being a large growing economy, you know we 
see a good future here but i think as we as any smart investment manager would say it's important to diversify your risk so i think that's what we are also focused on now is to grow a bit globally and that's great to hear me and i think in particular i mean as i was getting myself more educated about nafa i think your composition sounds pretty interesting i mean you've been talked about agriculture as well as you talked about financial services and i believe you also have a healthcare fund uh, in the portfolio so could you speak a little bit about how you think about that portfolio makeup uh, you talked about diversification but what are the what are the trends or what is your thesis as you bring this multiple different investment approaches together i mean i would call us old school investors we invest in businesses which have a high roe and are profitable so i've never i've never been you know i i always joke around that i believe that i'm a very old school guy you have revenue you have cost and there has to be a profit in in between you can you can so all you know loss funding businesses forever you know selling and you know hoping to get market share and i I've, i've never been one of those people so even when we invest you know i've always been someone who's invested in companies which are either profitable or have a pathway towards profitability or whether we believe that the entrepreneurs can get towards that uh, so i would say we are conservative investors uh, you know we are growth focused investors in terms of what we do i also like to do things with a slight difference so i mean in the, in the agri space of course in ag we don't have a fund it's our own business we have been investing in from our balance sheet and but in, in on the on the health side again actually we we don't have a fund we again invest either from our balance sheet or along with investors so we have we pool in uh, health investments but i think a lot of it what we try to do as well i wouldn't say all of it but increasingly larger percentage portions of it is where we can make a difference i mean i know it sounds cliched or we want to make a difference but i think i think capital is is something is as a very strong power and if a capital can choose to allocate itself in a certain way you know you can really make meaningful differences right because ultimately i mean if if you think of it today all of us are uh, users of technology i mean we don't even the come I mean, there's immense computing power in a phone and i still remember i'm 36 now when i was younger it was a, it was, i mean a com- having a computer was a luxury you know especially when i was 8 9 years old and in the last 20 30 30 odd years i mean less than that 25 years you've moved on from you know being able to have an incredible amount of computing power in the smallest devices so why has that happened it's demand of course is technological evolution but all of it funded by capital and even if you seen the in, i mean we don't invest in life sciences but if you see the life sciences space what's happening in terms of you know you know innovations to treat a wide variety of diseases i mean you would have never imagined that would exist uh, one of my aunts uh, recently had an organ transplant and um, she is doing very well touchwood but i think that was unimaginable maybe 30 40 years ago right in terms of uh, what so i think i think the so our approach is three prone i would say number one is we are traditional conservative investors by that i mean we are not averse to risk but we are averse to blind risk and we are also you know focused on the businesses which can be profitable with time and i think the current downturn teaches you that it's all well and good to invest in high growth businesses but when you have to land you need to land on profitable cash flow generating businesses so that, so that's one theme number two is uh, we try to invest in things that are done differently so and i think bring in our managerial expertise our knowledge our focus on profitability i mean similar to what funway does in a way but on a much much smaller scale of course but again that, that's the second thing and number 3 is you know give differentiated investment options to our investors because you know we are much smaller than some of the larger firms or the larger funds 
that are there in the world. But I think we are nimbler. We are more active. We recently did a transaction in the real estate space, wherein most people probably wouldn't have touched it, but we did it because, again, I have a firm believer in that if a business is a good business, it also has to be a well-priced business. So great company that's expensive for me is not as good a proposition as an okay company, which is cheap, which can grow, right? So, and and, and the public markets affords you such mis- mispriced opportunities. And I think that's another strong belief that I have is the price at which you buy is very important, you know? And I think that, again, I know it sounds cliched, but I think that's something which a lot of people tend to forget that, you know, in this herd mentality, people want to go and go and buy whatever is cool, what everyone, the whole market is buying. But by definition, that would actually mean it's quite expensive. Those words ring very true. I think being simple about your investment thesis and as importantly, being consistent about it in all yeah, in all yeah. cycles is, is helpful. So thanks a lot for sharing that. I mean, one thread I wanted to pull as you talked about NAFA, how active are you in your portfolio? What's your approach to like supporting the entrepreneur or supporting your portfolio companies? How do you think about that? I don't run the funds myself. So we have a team, I mean, we have a CIO who runs the public equities. We have a team who runs the private business part of it. We have a CEO for the iBanking. And I actually focus myself primarily on the strategy, new businesses, HR, compliance, and of course, you know, MIS, because I think that's a very important part of it. So I think the public equities, by definition, I would say we are not so active in terms of being, uh, what I meant is we we, we don't, A, we don't change the portfolio that much. So we probably would churn it seven, eight times a year at, at most. So we aren't a high churn portfolio. We When we believe in a stock, we stick with it. But again, by definition on, on the public equity side, our interaction with promoters or as we call entrepreneurs, as you call them, is lesser. On the private side, actually, we are very active. We work with them. We you know help them grow their business. Even though we are minority shareholders, I mean, we would own anywhere between for five to 15% of a company. I think that we actually roll up our sleeves in many and really help the company grow, troubleshoot, even raise money. In certain cases, we've actually raised follow-on rounds for companies and really support them, you know, through also regulatory risks, et cetera. On the iBanking side, I think, again, we work very closely with the promoters in, in businesses. But currently, I, I do spend a decent amount of my time on the agribusiness as well, uh, which which we are going and growing because my I would say one of my personal expertise lies in building something from scratch. And I think that's what I enjoy. That's what I've done. And so, and, and after it reaches a certain stage, I professionalize the management, bring the teams on board, and of course, then take a different role. So I think it's also very important to learn how to let go. You know, you can't, you can't. And I think the only way to grow is by letting go and, you know, trusting people who can take it to the next level. And I think it's, it's very critical to do that, you know, and I think there are, I think American football teaches you that, right? Different people for different roles. And I think if, if, if the quarterback wants to be the guy who, Sorry, my knowledge of American football isn't great, but I mean, the guy who runs with and collects the ball, you know, I think uh, everyone has its own role. I mean, similarly in, in football, I mean, every a striker cannot be a defender, but if he tries, he may not be the best defender. So I think it's it's important to, uh, you know, have roles and focus on them. So I'm switching a little bit to away from NAFA and into the ecosystem you operate in. Obviously, these days, there's a fair bit of concern about the outlook for the economy, at least here in the Western Hemisphere. There's a lot of concern about high interest rates, softening demand, high inflation. What is your take in terms of what's happening on the ground in India? What is your outlook and how does that impact your investment thesis or with your own businesses? You know, I think one advantage of being in India is that 
the outlook here is a far more positive. I mean, if you see, I mean, I, I had dinner with some people from the UK yesterday and they were literally talking doom, you know, doom and gloom, you know, in terms of the problems, the issues that Europe is facing and primarily the UK is facing in the post-Brexit environment. So the atmosphere in India isn't as gloomy, you know, and I, I do hope that, I, I know this will play out a few months from now, so I, I do hope that it remains the same. And But I, I do think that the outlook here isn't as gloomy. But of course, I, and I also think that the world is slightly less dependent upon the Western world than it was earlier. I wouldn't say it's completely decoupled yet. But, you know, it's 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 not that America sneezes and we catch a cold fully. I mean, it's still we, America sneezes and we do fall sick, but we don't fall, we don't catch a massive cold, you know, if, if, I, if, if that makes sense. So I think one, so our domestic demand is strong. I think that's one good thing. Number two is the softening of commodity prices has definitely helped because we do import a lot of oil and uh, metal. So that that's that's a positive. I would say the challenges in India lie in job creation. I mean, we are now the largest population in the world. So creation of X number of jobs becomes tricky, especially with AI and technology coming in and actually the number of jobs reducing globally in terms of the requirement of human interface. And number two is, again, it starts off with what we started this conversation with on the tech companies have, I mean, we have, we, we do have the tech slowdown here as well. And that's primarily because they can't keep raising multiple rounds of capital. And hence, businesses that, that aren't profitable, that cannot sustain themselves through internal cash flows and accruals are ultimately retrenching. And, and when retrenchments happen, where do these people go? So that that's definitely one uh, challenge that we are looking at. So I think the challenges for India are job creation, uh, because uh, that's that's a big challenge. Now, the second challenge which we are going to face is, while our physical infrastructure is really improved, but sometimes given the fact that we are a democracy, and I'm very proud of the fact that we are a democracy, but that what that means is unlike a China, we can't uh, go and uh, build wanton amounts of infrastructure. We have to go through due process. So that takes time. So as a byproduct, sometimes by the time your infrastructure is up and running, the demand has already crossed that. So again, you need to go to the next stage. So that's definitely a challenge we face, though I think infrastructure here is a lot better than many countries in the world, you know, certainly better than most parts of the US today, I would say in, in terms of our roads, airports, the investment we are putting in the rail infrastructure, the ports. So, so that's that's one good thing. But I think job creation for me is the single biggest challenge that India is going to face in the years going forward. Got it. No, very insightful and and interesting to see the comparison or the contrast to what at least what we are seeing here in the US. And uh, good to good to have a, at least a glimmer of hope there. I mean, I want to switch over to a little bit of one of my favorite topics for this discussion: your book, The Rock Barbers and Other Short Stories. Could you talk a little bit about what the objective behind writing the book was? What was your vision? What were you trying to convey? I think because it's a very interesting format you chose, and I'd love to just understand what was the underlying objective or vision you had behind it. Sure, sure. No, I think there are a few questions there, so we'll answer them one by one. So I've been a writer for a long time, maybe 20 plus years, and I've been writing in school. I was writing in college. I actually even dabbled with the idea of becoming a screenwriter, you know, a scriptwriter, sorry. At a, at a point in time, but then I got into economics and uh, studied economics, finance, and then got into business. But I've written for the Huff Post. I've written for Quinn. I was so a satire, mix of fiction, some stuff. So I've, I've been writing for a long time, but I always felt that there was, you know, I wanted to write a book. But the single biggest challenge I had was time because I was very busy with 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 business, with work. And uh, so I think, you know, I someone asked me that, 
how what is the trick to writing so i said writing is 20% talent 80% discipline so what you really need is to sit down in a place focus and write and and again that's something that it's very difficult for all of us to do but when i was stuck at home during covid i suddenly had the luxury of something that i didn't have for a long time which was time so i i began writing and uh, i actually finished the book in about 3 months the format actually i chose it because i think again it's, it's i think we're all very busy in today's world and to read a novel i mean i also end up half reading a novel and then i pick it up a few months later you know i think that on even on netflix or on any of the the, the streaming platforms i really half watch a series or not even half sometimes and then i pick it up a lot later so my idea was to write short stories which can actually be read on a 3 hour flight or on a 2 hour flight you can and then you know you maybe pick up the book a few months later and read the next story so while they they might seem condensed versions of what you know, think of it as the tiktok or of books you know what i mean like instead of having a, a large format movie you have a short reel so of course it's not as short as a reel i mean the book actually if in 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 some total the book actually is a novel and book it's almost 300 pages as as a as a book but uh, each story is also about i mean there are nine stories so about 28 to i think 40 pages uh, per story or well, 35 i think is the largest uh, per story but the idea the format was actually chosen for people to be able to read and then read the next story again and uh, publishers don't like short stories so when i pitched it to them they actually uh, amazon actually published it initially and uh, there's a, there's a, there are subsidiary in india called westland and they said the same thing to me why short stories nobody re-? so i so my my retort was exactly this you know i said listen the world is changing and and they actually like they they they, they like my pitch so i think i was quite happy with that super no absolutely that's a very interesting way to think about and making it more contemporary in today's tiktok world so me any any pearls of wisdom any takeaways you you which are close to your heart as you think about either our personal lives or our business lives from the book which you want people to take away you know the book actually focuses on if you ask me at the core of it it focuses on journeys and what i mean by that is not a physical journey but the journey of the soul you know of the person of the soul and and like there are you know in 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 a hindu religion we talk about reincarnation and i actually one one of the stories i actually said that i don't the, the character i mean says that we don't know what happens after death but actually reincarnation is actually happens many times in the same life like for example or what i mean by that is all of us you know when we as we go through life we we wear different roles you know we are children we are then school going kids we are then you know young adults then we go to work then we become husbands or wives then we become parents so each time a new time a new thing starts i mean i even in, say my father was a banker who got into politics you know so when when you are, so each time you get a new let's say era or a new period in your life starts the old period goes away so and we can even do the same as personalities you know i mean there are we all have flaws you know we have anger we have other flaws which which people have so again when we shed a flaw and we move on to the next level that's also us evolving that's also us reincarnating as something else so i think there are many lessons and actually the, to be honest the, the book was meant to be you know a book of metaphors and lessons for people to read through and and this was for example one of them but and and, and essentially the journeys the journeys of each person of each soul like i'll give you the the the, the main the not the main but the, the first story in the book is called the accidental philanthropist it's about a a japanese very successful japanese businessman a billionaire takahashi watanabe who is very rich but not very loved but you know he is extremely successful 
but not in in financially or as as a businessman but not someone who people would want to have a drink with in the evening so estranged from his daughter not very liked at work but people fear him people want you know so as is turning 75 he does a regular health checkup 75 goes in japan is basically you're a teenager but i uh, you know he's doing a regular health checkup and uh, the doctor comes and says takahashi san i'm very sorry to tell you but you've been detected with a terminal disease and you won't live for a few more than a few months so then he decides to throw of course he's shocked and he decides to throw this 75th birthday party and he's estranged from his daughter so he asks her to also come and she reluctantly attends and of course everyone's there right the who's who of japanese industry there's the prime minister there's people and at this and he sees his daughter there and at this uh, event he suddenly announces that he's going to give his entire fortune away to charity and now suddenly the guy becomes popular like his daughter comes running and hugs him she he reconnects he's like the the time man of the year equivalent of japan he, you know he spends time with his granddaughter becomes like a tiktok star you know he's on the front page of everything and for the first time and he changes as a person he evolves you know he he is no longer that grumpy old miserly billionaire he's suddenly this loving cool chilled guy who's you know helping people and suddenly for the first time in his life not only is he wealthy but he's also loved and it's something very new for him to digest and you know everything's great everything's moving well he's starting the process of giving up his cap- his endowment or giving his endowment and 3 months later the doctor comes to him again and says takashi san i am so sorry i mixed up the reports but now you're going to you're really healthy and you're going to live to be 100 and that's when the guy is shocked and you know of course he gets angry at the doctor but there he, he has a dilemma that he really wants his money you know he's really attached to his money his material wealth but at the same time suddenly he's like connected with his daughter spending time with his granddaughter suddenly he's loved so what does he choose right i mean the book the rest of the book the story rather deals with the choices that he makes and that's hence is the accidental philanthropist not meaning to be a philanthropist but and of course i won't tell you how the story ends and these are the these are the stories right they deal with the dilemmas of life you know they deal with the questions that life possesses and in a way the journeys of of each character through the trials and tribulations and how they eventually emerge very intriguing and i'm i'm, I'm hoping that teaser encourages a bunch of our listeners to pick up the book uh, at least i found it very very entertaining so thanks a ton for that uh, so may as we as we come to a little bit of the close of this discussion wanted to ask you one question um, i know the whole startup world uh, entrepreneurship is in many many cases very enamoring you've been a successful founder on your own uh, and of course now with nafa capital can you reflect on your startup journey for our audience what are some of the counterintuitive things you kind of learned what are the big learnings you would want to impart to other people who are trying to get on the same kind of journey i graduated back in 2008 i did a masters in fine i did my undergrad in economics in england masters in finance from a business school in Spain and I wanted to always go back to the school for an MBA in the US which I never ended up doing because of work but when I started out the interesting thing is so we were finance graduates in September 2008 or actually we graduated by the time in December 2008 so half of our class had jobs from firms that didn't exist I mean it's it's very easy for I mean it's it's normal for your job to be rescinded it's you know it's normal for like you know people to delay but we had jobs from banks and firms that didn't exist by the times we graduated be it a bestearns or a lehman or you know or in spain there were a lot of banks which fell so i came back you know did a couple of internships for a while never took up a job looking back probably a mistake should have worked in another organization 
but then i started my own renewable energy startup you know a firm to develop renewable energy projects back in 2009 i raised money at at the age of 24 i had about 45 50 people working for me and by the age of 25 and a half i had to shut it all down because my investors pulled out and at the time i had to fire all these people i was you know it was very difficult for me and at the time i thought it was the most difficult thing in in, in the world and why is it happened to me but you know honestly like i learned so much from that i mean looking back you know of course we lost money i lost investors money and they were very kind in terms of understanding that it, it that's what the case but i mean i think i learned a lot i think the focus that i have on profitability the focus that i have on cost control not going and hiring all these people having this big fancy office it, it really served me well those lessons i was only 25 and a half by the time i learned them probably learned more than any in any business school that i could uh, probably should have gone to business school at that stage but the entrepreneur in me was so hurt you know that that ego was so hurt that how could i fail you know so then i said no no i need to go back you know and build something again so that that drive helped you know but again looking back probably should have gone to business school at the time and you know taken you know so i think ego is never great i think that's a great learning for me number 3 is i don't think any failure is the end i think every fail actually either you grow a business or you learn from a business actually one of the things i love to do now is to hire people who have actually you know failed in businesses so to say and i think that's something that we definitely want to look at and cons- you know look at and consider because they i i think there's nothing called failure you always learn from every instance i think it depends upon how you approach it that's number 3 and number 4 i think is just i think it's very important to be gritty i think you know i mean i know it's i mean as long as you don't do fraud as long as you are true to yourself as long as you can you know you are sticking on an honest path the rest is it's it's risk you know I, I, at the end of the day life by definition is risky you know when every day when you leave the house or even in the house you could slip in the shower you could so life is risky it's a, it's you know so we can't i mean manage risk reduce risk but at the same time don't be scared to take risk you know build but take good risk you know don't uh, go and build loss making businesses without a focus on profitability but that doesn't mean don't build businesses so i think the key is according you know if i have as you said uh, some advice i think the key is know what you're doing be honest be faithful to yourself most importantly and ultimately you know be ready to take risk because i think life i mean risk is the reason why we sent a man to the moon risk is the reason why we we you know we discovered the wheel risk is the reason why i mean all of you left mckinsey and built funway and doing such a great job with it i think i think it's and I th- that's what drives humanity forward so i think it's it's something that we take quantify it you know manage it but don't be scared i think that that's that's the one thing which i would say and that's really sage advice and on that that note i would like to thank you for your time amir this was incredibly insightful and highly entertaining uh, discussion i'm hoping my listeners and viewers also will feel the same way so thank you so much for your time and thoughts thank you thank you thank you gorav and thank you to the entire team i didn't even realize how time flew by so uh, really really enjoyed it thank you well again speaks volumes for your experience and your perspective so thanks a lot amir thank you thank you so much Thanks for listening to Ina Insights. Please visit ina.ai for more podcasts, publications, and events on developments shaping the industrial and industrial technology sector.